First of all, apologies as my voice continues to disintegrate throughout mass. I had strep throat earlier this week, even though I'm far beyond contagious, not a problem anymore. I'm still not close to fully recovered yet. So at the 10 o'clock mass this morning, they said they spent the whole homily wondering why I was falling apart. So I thought I'd tell you up front today, it's gonna to be a slow disintegration to the end of mass. Last week, I spoke a little bit about money as part of my homily and the concept of tithing as a way of manifesting God as first in our lives. And that our tithing comes from our first fruits and remember I spoke a little bit about the first fruits of our time as well. And that's one way to orient our heart that we're not buying God's love, you can't buy holiness, but that the way we use our money, which is the expression of our livelihood, what we spend so many hours um, a day and each week attending to, reflects where our priorities are. And Jesus offers us another example along the same lines, but with some important differences today, as he reflects on the people approaching the temple treasury. And first he talks about those wealthy people who go and give out of the surplus of what they have. So they might give a large sum, but it doesn't really register. It hasn't really cost them anything. It wasn't that first fruits. And then on the other hand, he contrasts the gift of the poor widow. And this is remarkable to Jesus not because of the sum of money that she gives, but that she gives all she has. This is a different example than giving first fruits or giving an offering that's sacrificial. This is something radical. Jesus points out that this woman has contributed all she had, her entire livelihood. This marks the beginning of National Vocations Awareness Week. It's a time each year when the church takes to focus on prayer and greater understanding of three particular vocations in the church. The vocation to the priesthood, the permanent diaconate, and the consecrated religious life. So that's brothers and sisters and nuns and monks. One of the reasons why the church does this is because these are kind of mysterious vocations. Um, not a lot of people know any monks or nuns in their lives. Some people do, but not on the same level that you might know like a married couple, right? The Christian vocation to marriage, though it, it has mystery about it for sure, everyone knows a married couple or two or 40 or 100 Right? That takes some of the mystery away. And even if your experience of marriage is at times negative, you still understand from learning what a good marriage ought to be and what it's not. We, we have a certain awareness, even if not perfect, of what marriage is supposed to be like. And everyone knows single people as well. Even single people have chosen a life of celibacy for themselves. 
But when it comes to the religious vocation, it's a little mysterious. In fact, we tried to get some sisters to be with us here this weekend, um, since we don't have any that live here at the parish. Um, None could come. They're being pulled in too many directions. There's not a lot of them out there. And so that breeds a little mystery. What What do nuns do? What do sisters do? How do they spend their lives? <clears throat> Same with priests. Even though you might know a priest, every parish has got one, the life of a priest is a bit mysterious. What do they do other than praying mass? I had a kid once who asked me, he said, what do you do, Father, except aside from make sure the candles stay lit in church? I said, is that what you think I do? Like, I don't even know who lights those candles. That is not my department at all. The life of a priest is mysterious. And so there's a week each year where we say, why don't we slow down and look a little bit closer at the lives of deacons and priests and religious to try and understand that vocation better. Because perhaps I'm called to that way of life, um, but I'm certainly called to encourage someone else, even if that's not my vocation. Maybe I have a friend who the Lord is calling to that way of life. Maybe I will have a future child who the Lord is calling to that way of life. And so a greater understanding of that is important. Next week, we will have some priests here with us um, who after thou shalt chow will share a little bit about uh, the priestly life and sort of demystifying some of that. Um, But today I want to talk at the beginning of Vocations Awareness Week about two things which are particularly important uh, for following a call to the religious life or to the priesthood. One of them is a life of prayer. So these are particularly supernatural vocations. Marriage is something natural. It's something found since the beginning of time, in every society, amongst every people, there's this idea of marriage. Certainly, um, it is, the ideal is followed better or worse in all sorts of circumstances, as you know. But the idea of marriage is a natural one. It's part of humanity. Priesthood and religious life is supernatural by its very definition. My life, as I live it every day, makes zero sense if God is not real and if Jesus has not died and risen from the dead. It's entirely supernatural in that regard. And so prayer is the first must-have for following this radical way of life. We have to be called by God into this way of life. It's not the default for anybody. Now, defaulting into any vocation is a mistake. You should not marry someone by default. No one wants the love of their life to look in their eyes and say, well, we might as well. Right? This is not, this is not the dream. You don't want to default in marriage, but I tell you, people do. We don't want to default into celibacy either. I can't, I'm never going to find anyone doomed to be alone for the rest of my life. Woe is me. 
You end up with the same kind of tragedy as someone who's defaulted into marriage. It's not the dream. It's not the call. You can default into those natural states, though. It is very rare to default into a convent or a monastery. I've got nothing else to do. I guess I'll just go to the monastery. That doesn't happen. No one defaults into the priesthood, just like no one defaults into med school. How did I get here? What happened? <laughs> right? It takes an intentional action. And it's a response to an intentional call from the Lord. And we experience that call in prayer, in the depths of our hearts. And so we have to learn to listen for that call. Almost everyone who is a priest or a sister or a monk or a deacon will tell you that at some point in their life, they could have looked you honestly in your face and said, I am not called to this way of life. I sure could. I, in fact, did. I had a lot of people who told me that I should be a priest when I was growing up. And I looked them in the face and said, honestly, totally believing it, I am not called to that. That is not the life for me. I was wrong not because I was deceiving other people or in denial, but I wasn't listening. I wasn't listening for a call, so I didn't hear a call. We have to learn to listen for God's voice in the depths of our hearts. That's no small task. We also have to pray in intercession for others, to pray in solidarity. This is the command of the Lord. It says, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. So prayer is an important and indispensable part of journeying <coughs> towards these supernatural vocations in your life, in the life of your friends, in the life of your future children. Second is radical generosity. Now, every Christian is called to be generous because every Christian is called to love. And to love means to be generous with your very self. To love someone means to make a gift of yourself, of your life to them. But there's a particular way in which these religious vocations require radical generosity. It is the difference between making God first in your life, like the first fruits tithe we talked about last weekend, and making God everything in your life, like the poor widow in today's gospel, who gave not of the first fruits of her labor, but everything she had. That is a radical kind of generosity. And that is insanely intimidating. It's intimidating because of the attitude we all experience expressed so well in the first reading today from the book of Kings. No coincidence that these two come together. Total intention. So Elijah the prophet comes and at the entrance of the city, he finds another widow. It's always a widow in these stories. 
He finds a widow and says to her, I'm the prophet of the Lord. Please make me some food. Seems like a strange request. That was sort of like business as usual. Someone who's traveling through your town, especially a prophet, um, you showed them hospitality, right? So please bring me a small cup full of water and a little bit of bread. Now, this widow is at the end of the rope. She has just a little bit of flour and just a little bit of oil left. And she says, I'm going to bake one last cake, one last piece of bread for my son and I, and then we will eat it and we will die because we have no more. And the prophet says, okay, bet, but first make me a cake (laughs) and then you can make yours and whatever happens will happen. The prophet is calling this lady to give literally everything she has. And she says, I don't even have all that much. And if I give this to you, I might not have anything left over for me. And that, if I had to wager, is the biggest obstacle to someone who hears a call from the Lord to one of these radical vocations like priesthood with a religious life and says, okay, God, but if I give you everything I have, I'm worried there won't be anything left for me. If I give the Lord everything, what kind of life will I have to live to enjoy. There's a real fear there which leads to discouragement. So what does the prophet say to this woman? He says the most famous line in scripture, not because he said it, but because every prophet said it, and the Lord himself said it so frequently. He looks at her and says, Do not be afraid. Go and do as you propose, but do not worry, for the jar of flour shall not go empty, nor the jug of oil run dry. God demands a radical gift of self from those that he calls to the priesthood and the religious life. But in response to our fear, he says, do not be afraid. I will not be outdone in generosity. The Lord does not wish to take away our lives without intending to give it back to us 10 or 100 or 100 times 100 over. To follow the Lord is to live more fully, not less. He does not wish to take away anything that makes life good, joyful, or worth living. And that's certainly true of those he calls to this radical way of life. But it does take courage and generosity, it takes trust in the Lord. And so this woman, hearing this message from Elijah, left and did as Elijah had said, and she was able to eat for a year. 
and he and her son as well. The jar of flour did not go empty, nor the jug of oil run dry. It's easy to think about all of the sacrifices required in following the vocation the Lord calls us to. It's easy to focus on the fact that I had to give up having a wife and children and a biological family of my own. But what does the Lord do in return? He's given me thousands of people who have called me father, many of whom have actually meant it. He gives me a family bigger than I could have constructed on my own. He does not take away anything that makes life worth living, that makes it wonderful and good. But he does demand great trust. He does demand great generosity. And in response to our fear, he urges us to trust and to be not afraid. A vocation is always an invitation. And invitations can be politely declined. The woman certainly could have told Elijah, I'm sorry, I just can't. And she could have baked that last loaf of bread and eaten it with her son and died. But trusting in the Lord, the God who always provides, the God who really knows what he is doing, she received more life than she could have received on her own. So at the beginning of this Vocations Awareness Week, let us pray and meditate upon these two realities especially. The supernatural nature of these vocations. You're not going to stumble into the priesthood or the convent, or the monastery, or the diaconate. You don't end up there by accident. And so it is good, if frightening, for us to pray to the Lord, to ask him to speak to us, and to have the courage to listen for the answer. Because for most people... The answer will be, no, I am not calling you to that way of life. For most people, our call to marriage, the vast majority of you. But you'll be a better married person for knowing that that was the Lord's call, for having asked and answered that question. And to your surprise, you might receive an answer you weren't expecting. That from your poverty, the Lord has bigger plans for you than you have. So pray for yourselves and for one another. Pray for those people in your life who the Lord might be calling to that vocation. The very first person who really made a difference when they asked, well, I shouldn't say that. I'm being recorded too. Hi, Mom, because she totally watches these. Listen, my mom asked me if I wanted to be a priest all the time growing up. The answer was always no. 
But there was one evening when I was walking back from the Union to Kreischer, and a classmate of mine named Laura was walking with me. She lived in Harshman, which is no longer there, but was right across the way from Kreischer. So we would always walk back together on Thursday evenings. I'd take her back to Harshman. And she said, Walker, do you think the Lord might be calling you to be a priest? And that made an impact. And that's a weird thing to say to someone. (laughs) It's a risky thing to say to someone. But I needed Laura's encouragement. Because by that time, I did think the Lord was calling me to be a priest, but I sure wasn't going to say it to anyone. So perhaps the Lord is calling you, but perhaps the Lord is calling you to be the prophet for someone else. To encourage them in their moment of fear to follow the Lord wherever he calls. And ask the Lord for radical generosity. To be willing to give your whole life to the Lord. To be willing to give whatever the Lord asks for. Trusting that if we're following him, if our life is in his hands, the flower will not run empty. The oil will not run dry. That the Lord always provides and he will not be outdone in generosity. The widow was a marvel to Jesus and his disciples. She put in more than all the other contributors of all the wealthy to the treasury because they contributed from what they had left over and it didn't cost them very much. But she, from her poverty, contributed all she had. Let us ask the Lord for the courage to give him all we have.